Thank you, Zach, and good morning, church family. Good morning. Good job being here today in the snow. The Indiana spirit is alive and well. Nothing's going to keep us back. Uh, it is so good to be back, back in Warsaw after a nine-day ministry trip to Tacoma, Washington. I went with my three oldest daughters, and we missed being here last week, but God really blessed. It was a packed and, and very fruitful, blessed time away. Thank you for praying for us. Um, a lot of good ministry was done, and there's a really neat link between Lake City Community Church in Lakewood, Washington, and this church here, uh, and it's, it's a pretty special thing. Uh, now back here, I want to celebrate a great vision series that we uh, did here in the last three weeks, kicking off the year of 2022 with God's vision for the future. Uh, we prayed a lot in 2021 and, and uh, did a lot of work, and I'm really excited, I hope you are too, about where God is taking this church in the future. I want to thank especially Jay Bell for preaching last week, the third part of our new vision statement, which is on the front of your bulletins. In fact, if you don't have a bulletin, raise your hand. Aaron will put one in your hand. It's a it's good, good tool to, to follow along and, of course, to know what's going on in the church family. So if anybody needs that, you'll see the vision statement on the front, though. Worship the king, mature as family, engage the world. And that's what Jay preached last week. He even mentioned the bozos in Washington, D.C. I don't, you know, that was amazing. Um, that fit in the sermon. That was, that was pretty funny. Uh, if you missed any of those sermons, go back and, and watch those, and, and uh, it'll, it will be good for you to do that and know where our church is going. Now, today we have a new beginning. We are beginning a sermon series called Follow the King, and we're opening to the book of Matthew, where we're going to be uh, for a long time going through the book of Matthew. And I'm very, very excited about this. Uh, we're going to begin in Matthew chapter 3, where Zach just read, and you might ask if you're new here today especially, why start a brand new series in Matthew 3? And that's because if you um, remember, if you were around, in December, uh, we went through Matthew 1 and 2 during the Advent season, the Christmas season. Uh, Matthews 1 and 2 were all about the Christmas story. So let's go ahead and go back and review. You see the word review on the, on the top of your notes some about Matthew, uh, what makes this such an amazing book of the Bible. Matthew is one of the four Gospels, the Gospel accounts, the accounts, the written accounts of the good news of Jesus, the life and person and works and death and resurrection of Jesus, the King. And God was good to give us four different Gospels written by four different people from four entirely different perspectives, like looking at a multicolored diamond from every angle, we get a full picture of this beautiful treasure, our greatest treasure, Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, our King. John writes from the perspective that Jesus is the Son of God, a theological masterpiece. Luke writes to the Gentiles that Luke is the Son of Man. Mark writes to the Roman audience that Jesus is the suffering servant. And Matthew, Matthew emphasizes that Jesus is the king. He writes to a mostly Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience had been looking for the king, the son of David, and the Messiah, the son of Abraham. And we saw in chapters 1 and 2, that's exactly how Matthew proclaims this Jesus fulfills the entire Old Testament. The sovereign king over everything that exists, the king of all kings. And so after spending much time in 2021, if you were around last year, we were in the book of Exodus, and that was a great journey. And being in the Old Testament for most of 2021, 
Uh, it felt very comfortable and natural now to, to jump into Matthew, which is a bridge between the Old Testament and New Testament. All that the Old Testament looked forward to is fulfilled in Jesus, and he is today our king, the only hope of the world, the, the creator of the universe. And so I want to encourage you, we're going to be in Matthew for a, a, a long time, uh, to be determined how long. And uh, over the course of this year, though, I want to encourage you to read the book of Matthew several times. Let's just immerse in, in this. It, it could be my favorite book of the Bible, and for a lot of good reason. And it will be enjoyable. In the first two chapters, again, during the wonderful Christmas season, Matthew established Jesus the King from the line of David, the Messiah from the line of Abraham. And you may or may not have noticed, uh, I want to thank Jan Salzgiver and Tammy Robinson, they started putting these signs up on the wall. Did anybody notice those back there? You see that? And we see kind of a, a story forming. I want you to know that over the course of this series, this entire wall over there is going to be filled as we journey through the life of Jesus Christ, the King, the King that we follow. So that's going to be a lot of fun to see that unfold as well. God's got a lot of good things in store for us. So Matthew 3, after chapters 1 and 2 about Jesus' birth and the worship he received then, Matthew 3 jumps to his adulthood and his public ministry on earth. And here we go. You see the sermon title, Announcing, Baptizing, and Confirming King Jesus. This is a packed chapter, really important stuff. I'm glad that you're here Let's get started. In chapter 3, we see the awesome announcer, the announcement's message, and the announcement's method. Let's get into scripture. It all begins with the announcer, who is one of my favorite, mysterious, and amazing characters in the Bible. The awesome announcer is John the Baptist. Now, in order to understand the beginning of Jesus' public ministry right here, right in the beginning of, of the New Testament, we have to go back a little bit to see how the Old Testament ended. So if you have your Bibles open, flip back just a couple of pages to Malachi chapter 4, the last two verses in the Old Testament. And we see this prophecy 400 years before Jesus came. We read these words. Okay, stay with me here. This is how the Old Testament ends. Behold, God says, I will send you Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah had lived 500 years before that. So God says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. I will send you Elijah. What's God doing here? Elijah was the great prophet who the, the Jewish audience revered or maybe even idolized. So that got their attention. This new Elijah, just prophesied, would turn the people to God and to each other, but he would also come with a decree of destruction. Well, after Malachi's prophecy, 400 years go on, go by, 400 years of silence. And then John the Baptist bursts onto the scene. Let's read Matthew 3, once again, verses 1 through 6. In those days, 
John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Matthew wants to emphasize the kingship of Jesus. It was very customary and common that anytime a king, back, I mean, all of human history really, would come into a new land, they would announce him. They would announce the king was coming and they would prepare the road to make sure it was free from distractions or robbers or anything. Prepare the way for the Lord. That says to Community Grace, as we begin this series, prepare Community Grace to follow the king. The herald, the proclaimer, made sure that everyone knew the king was coming. But look at John's announcement, though. The announcement is not just, you know, clear the bandits. It's repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This was no ordinary king. But what about John's strange appearance? This always gets our, you know, questions and our imagination stirring. It was exactly as the Old Testament prophecies said it would be, this new Elijah. In verses 4 and 5, we see John wore a, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. And, and as a kid, we're all like, wow, what, what a mysterious figure. Well, check out this, this Old Testament description of Elijah, back from 2 Kings 1.8. They answered him, he wore a garment of hair with a belt of leather around his waist. And he said, it is Elijah, the Tishbite. Does that sound familiar? The exact description. John the Baptist wasn't poor or weird. He was prophecy fulfilled. And he was proclaiming the king. Now, I want to admit something personally. I shudder to this day when I talk about John the Baptist because about uh, maybe five, six years ago, my wife Sarah was teaching the Cubbies a lesson on John the Baptist, and she asked for my help. And uh, she asked me to, to get dressed like John the Baptist, and so I, I raided the costume department, and I got all decked out. I was John the Baptist, big old thing, and, and I was so excited. I was hiding in the classroom, and on cue, I was supposed to come out and jump and yell, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, prepare the way for the Lord. And, and so I did. I heard the cue. I jumped out of my hiding place, I ran across the room, all the kids were looking at me, kind of alarmed, and I jumped and tore my calf muscle <laughs> and came crashing down on the floor, <laughs> and I limped out of the room as fast as I could, and the kids had no idea what happened, but I go into the room, the, the other room, and sat there by myself like, what just happened? My, my leg just tore in half, and sure enough, I had to walk on crutches for six weeks. And I thought, I am not old enough for this, this to happen yet, am I? Um, and so, yeah, I remember those days. I mean, just feel it rip. Um, hey, this man is powerful, all right? John the Baptist. And he is. And I want to show you how powerful of a man he, he is, how, how notable of a figure he is. Jesus later called John the Baptist the greatest man to ever live. Just think about that. 
the greatest man to ever live. And on your notes, if you're looking at those, you see the greatest man is least in the kingdom of Christ. Let's, let's look at that, where Jesus identified him as the greatest man. Matthew 11, 11 through 15. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. For all the prophets, verse 13, and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Brothers and sisters, there's something big going on here. The king of all kings just called John the Baptist the greatest man who ever lived, and yet the very least of those in his kingdom are greater than he. Have you ever felt small or insignificant or guilty or ashamed or frustrated or useless? There's something in us that we certainly feel that way from time to time. I'm here to tell you, not anymore. When you trust Jesus as your Savior, he clothes you in his righteousness so that when God looks at you, he sees the value of his own son, Jesus, the king. This is our new identity in Christ. Now you are greater in God's eyes than the greatest man who ever lived before Jesus came. I want you to say in your heart, Wow, praise Jesus. The man, John the Baptist, has been introduced, the announce, announcer. Now grasp the announcement's message that is just as great as the messenger. This is point two. The announcement's message is repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is where God speaks to you. We have already read these words in Matthew 3, chapter 2, but let's study them much more closely because this is the message to repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What does that word mean, repent? Repent. Let's look at it biblically. The Greek word is metaneo. It involves a complete change, a metamorphosis, a, a transformation, a complete change. I mean, we're talking the creature that was is totally different now. And this total change involves three things, and if you're taking notes, I, I have them on the screen for you to write down. First, repentance involves confession. It's not the same as confession, but it involves confession. That's an admission of sin. I have sinned. I am a sinner. I've broken commandments. I cannot stand before a holy God without being struck down. I cannot save myself. So confession, I admit. We read in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 3 that people were coming from all over the place, Judea and Jerusalem and from the outskirts, all over to be baptized by John, and it says, confessing their sins. It's not only recognizing, ooh, I messed up, or ooh, I, I did wrong. It's confessing, admitting, I did wrong. Okay, so that's the first part of it. Second, repentance involves being sorry for that sin, contrition. 
confession, contrition over sin. It's, I did wrong, and I'm sorry. This is the way to life, this repentance. King David was a man after God's own heart. King David, back a thousand years before Jesus, a man after God's own heart, greatest human king. Like us, though, he sinned often. What made him a man after God's own heart? Not a perfect life. He sinned often. No, follow King David's example in the brokenness that he expresses throughout his psalms, such as Psalm 51.4, just for one of many examples, where we see David pouring his heart of sorrow for his sin. He writes, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's a sorrow for our sins. And then John tells us here that we must repent, which involves... Third, a conversion, a turning. Now, we've acknowledged that. We've felt remorse. Now we turn from it. How many times do we have to teach our kids, when you say you're sorry, you're not supposed to keep doing it. It's true for us adults, too. We turn. It's a conversion. We turn from sin. There's a funny illustration to show that. A man was praying with his pastor after church one Sunday. He prayed a prayer. The pastor had heard him pray many times before. Lord, take the cobwebs out of my life. But this time, the pastor interrupted, Lord, kill the whole spider. <laughs> well, many times we ask God to, you know, forgive us of a sin, and yet we leave the source of the temptation in our life. This is a, t- a total turn from the old way to the new way, from the old life to the new life, from the old creation to the new creation. It's a total turn, repentance is total turning. God tells us, make your choice. Turn toward me or away from me. Choice is yours. And two realities are clear from John's words and then Jesus' message. And that is, first, salvation is here. Salvation is here. But second, damnation is near. We'll see that unfold as we go. But first, let me say a few words about national repentance. There's a few reasons I bring up national repentance in addition to personal repentance today, and that is national repentance is all through Scripture. I mean, it is a constant thread of the entire Bible. It's all about the nations. That's on God's heart. We've preached that here recently. I think Jay covered that last week pretty well. God loves the nations, the peoples, the people groups of the world right up through Revelation It's all about the peoples, the nations. It is the great commission of Jesus Christ that he gives us all. It's to make disciples of the nations, and that includes making disciples of people in the nations. But one verse made popular during COVID in the last two years, and rightly so, is this. I'm sure you saw it on plenty of memes and and people's devotions, and that's great. It should be 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, it's my nation, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, that's repent, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. National repentance. Which boat is America in? Holiness and blessing, or continued sin and judgment? I would argue that our nation is exceptionally and strongly in both. No country in history has spread the gospel message as much as America has in its history. 
and done good. But also, no country has sent so much anti-Christ sin into the world as America has and continues to. This should both excite and terrify us. When you look at God's dealing with the nations all through history, there's another reason I bring this up today, and that is today is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's an annual thing right around the Roe versus Wade decision, and the National March for Life is happening right now in Washington, D.C., and a group of 70 students from Lakeland Christian Academy here is there, including some of our own teens from this church. Tens or hundreds of thousands of people are marching there at the Capitol, as is welcome in this country, in this free country. Now, why march against abortion? Here's why. Here's what's going on. America kills about a million of its babies every year in the place that they are supposed to be the safest, the mother's womb. 62 million babies since Roe versus Wade. Abortion is by far the number one cause of death in our country, by far, not even close to anything else and and in the world. The New American published hundreds of pages recently of of previously hidden records that the FDA, our our own Federal Drug Administration, has long purchased babies' body parts and heads, and they demand fresh for medicine and product development. And recently, these papers reveal they've been demanding them for their humanized mice project. Uh, You can read about this, and and I don't want our, our heads to be in the sand anymore about that. This is cannibalism. We have descended into depths of the depravity of biblical proportions in our nation. Big medicine has turned into Frankenstein as well as tyranny, and our tax dollars support it all. And we need to not be silent. Our nation is moving from the Old Testament evil of King Omri to King Ahab, which yielded God's judgment on the nation. He gives us grace to read about a lot of national judgment and national repentance. So America, I believe it's pretty clear, is at least under the warning of judgment, if not full judgment. Who knows what's still to come? But here's what we do know, is that we need to repent. We need to repent as a nation. Repentance begins in the church. And that's a big part of why America's in so much trouble is because churches have stopped repenting and seeking God and turning from their sins. So here's what our part is. My part as a pastor of one church is to proclaim this, and we can make a big difference by repenting and turning away from sin, evil, complacency, our own dependency, and turn toward God. And we'll make a difference. We'll make a difference here in Warsaw. We'll make a a difference all around the world in Christ's kingdom. It starts with us. That's our responsibility and our calling. Are you up for that? Turn to the Lord. And what a difference we'll make. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Let's continue with chapter 3. There's so much more still to go in in just a few more minutes that we have left. We've studied the announcer. We've studied the announcement's message. Now, this, here's, the, here's the pinnacle of it all. We study the message of 
we study the method of the announcement, the announcement's method. The method of John and Jesus is baptism. And we see their method unfold in two remarkable phases. If you have your notes, the first one is baptizing Jews to confirm their need. Let's look at the text, Matthew 3, 5, and 6. Here's what we see. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, John the Baptist, and they were baptized with him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, let me tell you the significance of all of this. This just never happened before. This, this is brand new. Baptism had been around for a long time. That was an Old Testament thing, but Jews didn't get baptized. You know who got baptized were Gentiles from pagan nations that, that wanted to make God their God, Yahweh their God, and so they got baptized. That's immersed. Baptism is immersion. That means to go all the way into. I'm, I'm all in. I'm leaving my pagan culture and beliefs, and I'm worshiping God, and so they got baptized. Now, that's why it's astonishing here that Jews were getting baptized. Lots of them. They were coming all over the place to get baptized by John the Baptist. You can just imagine, the Bible doesn't give us a lot of details here, but you just have to imagine. This is a big movement. And here's what they were doing. God was stirring in their hearts to realize that they had been depending on their own family heritage. And that's what it says right here, because let, let's continue on here. And see what's in their hearts. Matthew uh, 3, 7 through 10 gives us a look. What they were saying in their hearts. What they had become dependent on. And what it looked like for them to repent. And I'm going to show you. It's the same for us. You grew up in church. Your parents are Christians. You think that because you go to church or live in America or have white skin or whatever it is. You're automatically a Christian. I just can't believe how often I hear that kind of thing. It's the same thing here. None of those things save you. None. Repent, you repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the Jewish people got this here through John's ministry. Verses 7 through 10. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? These are the religious leaders who didn't like what they saw, all these Jewish people repenting and coming to God, not them. Now watch what he says. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father it's like we're automatically in we don't have to and and they lived a bad life because they were relying on their heritage their family heritage john says don't say to yourselves we have abraham as our father for i tell you god is able from these stones to raise up children for abraham you're nothing special even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. No one should think they are saved because of their family. You need to repent and come to Christ. Repentance, faith, and baptism are ours to choose. And by, only by the grace of God are we able to. Now this means that infant baptism, being baptized as a baby, is not enough. That's not what the New Testament teaches it teaches personal repentance and faith comes first and then baptism. That's the entirety of the New Testament's teaching on baptism. We are not bearing fruit in Christ's kingdom through our family heritage, through our parents' decision. That's through our personal acts of faith and obedience to Christ. This is John's call, and this is what baptism is. This is the method of this announcement. Now watch how the method of baptism unfolds even further. 
in a couple more ways. First, in verse 11, John, the announcer, says, he continues, I baptize with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. What does this mean? John is baptizing with water. Jesus is about to get baptized with water. And Jesus tells all of his followers to come for the rest of time when they follow me, get baptized with water. All of that is in order to give an outward picture of what Jesus does inside of us. His baptism, immersion of us in his spirit and his purifying fire, what he does on the inside of us. And when he does, when we receive him as our Savior, that's when we get baptized with water on the outside. What is this baptism in the Holy Spirit and purifying fire? This happens at the moment of your salvation. You are baptized with the Spirit, immersed in the Spirit. He indwells your life sealing you for eternity, convicting you of sin, teaching you all that you read in the Bible, its depths and its meaning, how to apply it and live it, empowering you for that service. And like fire does, the Holy Spirit purifies and cleanses you all along the way. And water baptism pictures all of that and and more. That's the ministry of Jesus. This is all still the announcement. Jesus hasn't come on the scene yet. We're getting ready for him, too. John's got one more thing to say about this Savior who is about to come, some serious stuff. Look in verse 12. His winnowing fork, the one who's coming, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, we might not be familiar with wheat farming. I don't know if there's any wheat farmers here. There might be some. But let's, let's just make this clear. A wheat farmer does this. This is how he farms his wheat crops. He's got the winnowing fork, throws it up on a windy day. The good wheat falls back down and the chaff blows away and the, there's a separation. Then he gathers the wheat into his barn and the chaff he takes and burns, burns completely with unquenchable fire. So here is one of, with com, what we see here, Do you see the picture up on the screen? Can you see that very well? John's giving a picture of the the separation of the wheat and the chaff. He separates humanity, Jesus does. He separates those to eternal reward and those to eternal judgment. And John wants your attention, and Jesus does too, and I'm hoping that he has it right now. And I just have to ask, which do you want? Do you want the king's rich mercy, grace, and glory? Or his wrath and judgment? You choose one one or the other. Well, then Jesus, after all of this, the announcement's ready. Jesus comes. Jesus appears in the wilderness 
and we enter the story of his adulthood and his ministry on earth. John had been baptizing repentant Jews in light of the promised Christ, and now the promised Christ has come. And we see point B here, John baptizing Jesus to confirm his kingdom. How many of you have wondered, why did Jesus get baptized? He didn't need to be cleansed. Well, John asked the same question. You're not alone. You're in good company. Let's look at Matthew 3, 13 through 15. And then Jesus, here we go. He appears for the first time right here. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. Jesus was baptized to confirm his kingdom. Here's the confirming, the confirmation. Uh, That's in two parts. You need two things to have a kingdom. Can you figure out what they are? First, to have a kingdom, you need a king. Okay? So Jesus is first confirming his kingship. Just as Jesus' genealogy did in in Matthew chapter 1, it confirmed his kingship. He's the son of David. Here's how his baptism confirmed that he is king. The whole triune God, Godhead, showed up to confirm Jesus. Let's look at these final two verses in Matthew 3, verses 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, just imagine the scene, behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God, who he'd spent eternity with in perfect community, Spirit of God descending, but here he is in his humanity, seeing the Spirit of God descending like a dove, coming to rest on him, and now he is filled with the Spirit as a human for the rest of his earthly ministry that is key and critical to the rest of the story with Jesus. And behold, on top of that, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son. Father God said, this is my beloved Son. He is confirmed as God, the King of everything with whom I am well pleased. This is one of the majestic times in Scripture that all three members of the, of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, appear together, this time for the purpose of confirming Jesus as King. God the Father spoke from heaven, this is my Son, your King. God the Son received the confirmation. And God the Holy Spirit descended like a dove and filled Jesus for his ministry. And gave God's sign of this confirmation. This is a picture of the perfect community from which all other community in our human experience is is based and modeled. And at that moment, we have a king. That's the first thing that kingdom needs is a king. What else? What's the second thing a kingdom needs? What's that? Yeah, citizens, subjects, other, yeah. People, citizens. So the announcements method, baptism, also is finally confirming our place in his kingdom. We are are his citizens. Check this out. Okay, so we ask, why did King Jesus need to be baptized? He had no sin to repent of, no need of cleansing. Jesus, look at Jesus' answer again, verse 15. But Jesus answered him, 
Let it be so for now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. This was fulfilling just everything that the Old Testament was, was um, predicting, promising. Jesus was starting his new ministry. He was starting the movement. He was getting the church ready to be born. Here it goes. Listen to God's marvelous purposes for us to be his citizens in his baptism. First, him getting baptized as creator God related him to humanity and related humanity to him. Before he could be our savior for for sins, he had to become one of us to be a sacrifice for us. Now, so Jesus fully identified himself with us and now in turn, our righteousness only comes from him. And of all this teaching in the New Testament, my favorite verse, I think, that is the most powerful that sums this up is 2 Corinthians 5.21. Just meditate on this verse. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is huge. This is the method, the confirmation of Jesus as king, but also of us as the citizens in his kingdom. Who are we to deserve this? This is really good news. Baptism is the symbol of identity, Jesus with us and our place in his kingdom. Now, also Jesus getting baptized, another purpose is that that allowed him to later establish our baptism as a permanent ordinance of the church. And that's why we take getting baptized very seriously, and it's a big celebration. People come to Christ, we celebrate their baptism. And that's what he designed for the church, to proclaim him for the rest of time. Have you trusted Jesus as your Savior and received salvation from him? Have you been baptized? Those are our next steps today. Please take these next steps to the fullness that Jesus commands and invites you to. First is to repent and believe in Jesus. I love the story of St. Augustine in church history, a key figure. St. Augustine turned from a couple things, fleeting, unmarried sexual pleasure and unsatisfied philosophical pursuits. He found all those things empty He turned from those to a totally fulfilling surrender to the will of God. In his famous autobiography, Confessions, he sums it up so well with this famous statement. He said, you, God, have made us for yourself, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You can find that rest in Christ. Today, by repenting, that just means turning from everything else and worshiping God, worshiping Jesus as your king. Anything else will leave you unsatisfied, lost in sin and condemnation. But there's good news. Repenting, turning away from that sin, and dependence on yourself to Christ gives you the free gift of salvation that Jesus already purchased for you. Then, second, if you haven't already, get baptized next month. We have a baptism class, February 20th, 
and baptism services are on February 27th, so it's at the end of February. If you have trusted Christ or do so today or soon and have not been baptized yet, this is your chance. We have a, a few people who have already uh, said that they would like to be baptized. That will be a celebration. It's something that we do together, a great act of worship and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. You can write that on your communication card if you're interested in that. You'll hear more about it over the next few weeks. Let's pray today and commit our lives of repentance, faith, joy, Holy Spirit, power in Jesus, our King. Lord God, we thank you for Matthew 3. Thank you for your word and your spirit who works through it. Lord, I, I pray that you'll do a great work in everybody's heart today as you have for me. What do I have to repent from? Again, to confess to you. And oh, I thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us and seals us for eternity. We don't have to worry about that, of losing salvation. But if we're not walking with you, Lord, I pray that we'll all express our sorrow and our commitment to you, knowing that you'll take us back. Your grace is infinite, inexhaustible. We thank you. And I do. I pray for uh, the ordinance of baptism, that people will come and be baptized and want to be and, uh, and enjoy it together as we worship you. We pray you'll bless this church and our journey through your, through your word in Matthew. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.